So this week, I needed some more Christmas lights for something. I know, it was not for the house. This time it was not for the house. The house is done. And um, I was going out late at night and went to, to several stores that I knew were still open. So I was going out and, and I went to the first store and came to their Christmas section. Actually, I came to where their Christmas section was. And it is completely gone. And now it's, you know, the containers for packaging up after Christmas. I'm thinking, we're still two weeks away from Christmas. So I went to the next store, Christmas section, completely gone. Little Valentine's Day stuff and things like that. I'm thinking, what is happening here? It took me four stores to get one set of lights that I wanted to get. And I'm getting frustrated. I'm thinking, okay, where is the spirit of Christmas? Don't they understand Christmas isn't here? Anyone ever felt that way? I, I guess I should be okay because next August Christmas decorations will come back. But um, I, I'm, I'm getting frustrated that I can't find what I want to celebrate Christmas. Don't they know Jesus is the reason for the season? And I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking, well, okay, how much is my grumbling showing that Jesus is the reason for the season? How much is my frustration what if I just let circumstances do my joy? Right? And, and, and I have let them just, just turn me into this... And, and even though I'm right, and they should still have Christmas Day. No, I... <laughs> but we, we think about that. We, we say Jesus is the reason for the season, right? And, and that's that Jesus should be centered to everything we do at Christmas time. And that is right. That is true. That's why we're here this morning. But the question that I was confronted with this week and that I asked this week to all of us is, is that always true in our own lives? Is Jesus always the center of Christmas? Is He always the center of worship? Is He the reason for everything we do? And and I'm not talking about we should spend seven days a week, 24 hours a day, sitting in, in church here worshiping. But does our attitude reflect that this is a season where we're celebrating the birth of the King, the birth of our Savior? Do our actions and our our care for other people reflect the care that Christ showed us by coming 2,000 years ago? And so in the middle of all the hecticness, in the middle of the hustle and bustle of the 10,000 activities that go on in December, I'd like to start by asking us, is Jesus the reason for the season in our own lives? Is He center in my own life? So this morning we'd like to talk about that a little bit and bring our focus back to Christ and help us remember who He is and why He came. Why, so long ago, did He come in a manger? As a child, as a baby, instead of as an adult. And, And as we think about that, we will reorient our own thinking to who He is and to making Him the center and and how that should affect our own actions. So why did He come? Why as a baby? There's all kinds of reasons why we have kids, right? You know, maybe out of love, and we, want to, we have so much love, we want to share that with our children. Maybe we just need some little tax deductions running around. I don't know. Maybe you know, I, this year my kids helped with lights more than ever at home, so I'm thinking, wow, I'm glad I have kids. They're doing more and more. But... More seriously, maybe it's to carry on a family legacy 
and to raise the next generation to impact the world for Christ. Now, we have all kinds of reasons we have kids. But why was Jesus born? Why did God choose to become a man? What did he do? And so this morning, our our theme is born to. And five things, and they're already in the the logo for the morning, so you already know the five points. But thank you for still coming. Jesus was born, and what what was he born to do? And I'd like to start with just an assumption. When we say the word born to, we're we're implying, we're assuming an intentionality, right? If I'm going to do something, there's an intentionality there. And so when I say Jesus was born to do something, there's an intentionality there. And and the foundation for, for what we're talking about today is that Jesus' birth was planned from before creation. Jesus' birth has always been planned from eternity And so you and I are intentionally pursued on a rescue mission by the God of the universe. I think that's really cool. That God is intentionally pursuing me. That God knew what I would do, the rebellion, the sin in my heart, and He still, from the beginning of time, intended that Jesus would be born in that manger, in that filthy stable, with those animals around. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 20. And we'll look at a variety of verses today. We'll get to Philippians 2 as our key passage. But some of the other verses I'm going to put on the screen so that way we're not necessarily flipping through a lot of pages. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20 is just a key verse for understanding this. It says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Basically, we're in a fallen world. We sin and we, that's inherited. You're ransomed from that, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Then verse 20 is a key verse for, for this presupposition. For he was foreknown, and some versions say chosen, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. What that verse is saying is God from the beginning of time before the foundations of the world, chose and planned for Jesus to come in that, in that manger. To come as that baby at that time, at that place, with the angels intentionally coming to those shepherds, with the star intentionally coming to those magi, with Herod, the, 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 the person that we'd be like, if I was planning it, I wouldn't have had Herod there. Herod intentionally on the throne. And God in His sovereign plan said, this is the time, this is the place that I start to roll back the curtain on my rescue mission for a fallen mankind. I love that. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. And what, what Peter's saying there is you're just seeing a glimpse of it now. You just With the birth of Christ, we're seeing a glimpse of this plan that's been there all along. Sort of weird ways my mind works. I think of the Star Wars trailer that came out a couple weeks ago. And, and bear with me. People have been looking forward to this all along, right? Because there's some sort of plan for Episode 7. And in, in two minutes, we saw really very little of the plan. But it was just enough to, to roll back the curtain and all the Star Wars fans were like, oh, this is great. Well, that's nothing compared to the birth of Christ because that was the beginning of the greatest rescue operation in history. Of God's plan to pursue you 
and to pursue me. But one of the other ways that we see that is through prophecies. And let me just read a couple prophecies. In the Old Testament, years and years and years before the birth of Christ, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And this is after the fall and, and the curse. And right there, God already gives the promise of the Messiah because the plan's already in place. You and I were already being intentionally pursued. I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, speaking of Jesus Christ, so that's a fatal blow. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of, of Christ's death on the cross that was not permanent. Micah 5.2 But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. God is sovereign. He had a plan before creation and nothing will stop Him from executing His plan. Amen? And we take hope in that. We take joy in that. The manger was planned, like I said. The diapers, the late night feeding, the teenage years. The, I think there was probably ridicule from his brother and tension there on his brother's side. And he went through all that according to plan. God knew we would sin. He knew we would need a Savior. And because He loved us, He planned to send His Son. That's amazing. It's good to be pursued. It's better to be pursued by the God of the universe. So let's look at the plan and see what Jesus came to do. And we get to our key text this morning, Philippians 2, verses, verses 5 through 8. And if, you, if you'll turn there with me, Philippians 2, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a black Bible somewhere underneath um, one of the seats that you can open it up to Philippians in the New Testament. Um, if you have your, your apps, you can look it up that way. But let's look at Philippians chapter 2. And This might seem like a strange passage to use for Christmas, but it's a wonderful passage to use for Christmas as it proclaims the plan of Christ to save us. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And just a, a note right at the beginning, as we talk about Christmas, it's easy to view Christmas just as some sort of event, right? Something that happened 2,000 years ago, and we celebrate it. Yay, that was a good event. Yay, my team won. You know, just like any other event. And yay, such and such happened. But this verse, right from the start, should tell us that worshiping Jesus at Christmas means being influenced by Jesus at Christmas. It's more than just celebrating an event. It's being changed by an event. Because he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The NIV is just really direct. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. We can't come to Christmas and study who Jesus was and why He came and why He did what He came without being changed to say, that should be my heart. That should be my attitude. That should be my mind. Otherwise, it's just Christmas. So that's verse 5. And verse 6 gets into the story. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born 
in the likeness of men. And you see the, this description of Christ starting in verse 6, who though He was in the form of God, and that means in the very nature God, Jesus is God. And He was dwelling in glory with God for all eternity. And even though He was in glory with God, fully exercising His attributes, He goes on to say in verse 6, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what that meant is for Jesus, He didn't want to cling to that. He didn't want to hold on to that. You know how a little child, when they have a toy they like, and you go to take it away? What what happens? What? They want it back. That's right. They don't want you to take it. They cling to it. I mean, that phrase like taking candy from a baby, they never tried to take candy from my kids. Because it's that's something to be grasped. And what this verse is saying is Jesus, who is God, fully God, did not consider equality God with God or that place in the heavenly realms fully exercising His attributes. He didn't have to hold on to that. But, and it goes on, okay, great, he didn't want to hold on to it, but what did that mean? But he emptied himself. He voluntarily gave up the exercise of those attributes to come to earth by taking the form of a servant. That's a very interesting, it's a very interesting term. And throughout this morning, I'd like some kids to help me out. I know that the kids are in here and this can be a little bit of a long service and so, I need a, a, one of the kids to come up and help me with something real quickly. Just come up. So, okay, Ashton, you're first. Go to the tree and get me envelope number one, okay? Open it up. Yeah, the others I didn't seal. This is the only one I sealed. So just rip it open. Okay, get that piece of paper. Tell me what it says. Serve. Serve. Okay, Jesus was born to serve, and that's our first point today. What do you think that means? What does it mean to serve somebody? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but you volunteer. <laughs> and there's no more kids volunteers the rest of the day. No, I appreciate that. What does it mean to serve somebody? If I'm serving you, what am I doing? Is that a hard one? This is hard, especially to think of God serving. It really means that I am lowering myself to do something for you. Okay? To, to help you out in some way. And so I'm not thinking of myself. I'm thinking of you and how I can help you. Do you know Jesus did that for us? Because he lowered himself from heaven, from all the attributes of heaven. And he said, I'm going to become a baby. You've had, you have little brothers and sisters, right? Babies can do a lot, can't they? No, not so much. You have to feed them. You have to change them. That's how Jesus came, to serve us. He lowered himself and became like us to save us. Thank you very much. Thanks. And so Jesus came to serve. Yeah, give him a hand. He didn't know I was going to ask him questions in front of everybody. Jesus was born to serve. Right there, he took on the form of a servant. And that, that blows my mind because he is God Almighty in the flesh. And it didn't, he could have just skipped that phrase and said he was just born as a baby. He was born as a man. 
but his attitude was one of serving and putting himself under or lower so he could save us. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. That word for servant there sometimes is translated slave. And it has to do with his approach. Now, think about this for a minute. Because the distance someone lowers themselves helps us understand the, the depth of their servanthood. You know, if I with my kids and, and, and one of my kids this morning had a, had a bad dream and came running in and, Daddy, Daddy, I had a nightmare and, and I'm afraid of the dark. And, and my first thought, Dads, I think you understand, is I need more sleep. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I brought them into, into where I was and we hugged and cuddled and comforted. And, okay, that's, that's one way of sort of lowering myself to their level to meet their needs, Right? That's not that big of a sacrifice. I'm supposed to do that. I'm their father. I'm the protector, the spider killer. That's what we call it in our house. It, 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 it makes sense. <laughs> but God Almighty, God Almighty lowered Himself to be one of His created beings. Think about the depth of His heart of servanthood. The manger should remind us of that heart. He was born in a stable. Or, you know, some say a cave. It could have been the, the courtyard below a house. But it was where the animals were. And he was placed in a manger where the animals ate. This is servanthood. There was no halo like you see in all the nativity pictures. It was dirty and smelly and the the, the cloths he was wrapped in got dirty pretty quickly. In a minute, we'll sing a song called Thou Dost Leave Thy Throne. And, And when you sing that, think of this point that he was born to serve, to be a servant. Thou dost leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. Part of Jesus' plan, God's plan from eternity, was to lower himself and become a servant. A couple of other verses, just look at these. For even the Son of Man, in Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. Man, if a king's coming, you'd think they'd want to be served and recognized. But he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He lowered himself so that we could be lifted up. So that we could have life. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says that, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. The manger, every time we see it, every time we celebrate Christmas, first thing it should remind us of is servanthood. Servanthood. Now keep in mind verse 5 that I mentioned, that every one of these we should be thinking of the mind of Christ and how we should put that into practice. And so the the manger should also be reminding us that we're called to be servants. We're called to give up our rights to meet other people's needs. And so this Christmas, as we worship Jesus, a great way to keep Christ at the center of Christmas 
is to say, who can I reach out to? What need can I meet that might mean a little bit of sacrifice? Maybe it's a bag of groceries on someone's doorstep. Maybe it's staying up late to talk with somebody. Maybe it's inviting someone over that doesn't have a place to go. But how can I be a servant and put others before myself? That's what verse 5 is talking about. And it says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Second point, which, which goes on there. I need an, uh, another um, kid. Let's have two kids come up. Will any, okay, there's one. Aaron, come on up, Aaron. Okay, let's wait for her. I, I have two of you now because then you have two people to answer questions. And, and I'm not just like really pointing out. Go find me envelope number two. Okay, do you want to open that? Tell me what it says. Jesus was born to to dwell. Is that a weird word? What do you think that means? What does dwell mean? You don't use that every day? Mom, Dad, I'm home to dwell. (laughs) It means, okay, literally it meant to tent with or to tabernacle with. But have you, have you guys ever been camping? Yeah. Dwelling would be like pitching your tent or being in a tent with somebody. So it's living with somebody, okay? You guys dwell with your, your families. So to dwell means to live with, to be part of people's lives. Do you live with your families? Yes. Yeah. Isn't it awesome? Yes. Yeah, because you're part of their lives. Well, do you know that's what Jesus did when he came to earth? He came to dwell with us. Fellowship, yeah, it's about relationship. You're getting it, yeah. Because if, if someone lives with me and is part of my life, is that different from someone just waving to me on the street? Waving to me on the street's just like, hi, hi, how you doing, right? But if I come and live in your house, <laughs> if I come and live in your house and, and um, you know, sleep on the couch or something, I'm part of your life, right? That means something. That's what Jesus did. He came to live with us, to dwell with us. Okay, you guys can have a seat. Give him a hand. This is probably the point this week that has just impacted me the most. And I keep thinking about this one. But if you look at Philippians 2.7, He took upon Himself the form of the servant, being born in likeness of men. And the word for likeness there is, is the same as... as Actually, the word for form is the same as the form of God, the very nature God, but then likeness of men. He became one of us. He dwelt with us. He, he came as a child to live life, the full course of life that we live. And I, I just want to bring up some other verses that as I was thinking about the word dwell, I was starting to just sort of trace it through Scripture. And it's really incredible. John 1.14, a verse that talks about the incarnation, the birth of Christ. And the Word, the Word being Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled with us. And what that means is Jesus came and became man to live alongside of us. And like I was telling the the boys, that's different from just on high saying, oh, I'm going to save you. No, He says, I'm going to be part of your life. It's a term that has to do with relationship. He takes the full human journey. He came as a baby. Many of you have had babies this year that are all in the nursery right now. Not all of them. Some, some are in service with us. 
He had to eat. He cried when he was hungry. He had to have his swaddling cloths changed. He endured pain. He went through everything we went through. Hebrews says he was tempted in all points as we are. He dwelt with us and understands what it means to be human. But think of, think of Scripture. Think of the beginning and end of Scripture. In Genesis 3, what picture do we have? Now, it, it's the fall, but when Jesus comes, we have this glimpse into what life was like before the fall. And it was incredible. Because in Genesis 3, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And in Genesis, how God created it to be, we were dwelling with Him. He was dwelling with us. There was relationship. We were walking and we were talking. Almost break into a hymn there. And so the story starts with God creating us to be in relationship with Him. The story ends in Revelation 21, 3 and 4. I know one of the Sunday school classes looked at this last week. At the end of time and after, after the, the new heavens and the new earth, this description of what it will be like and why it will be so incredible. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's awesome. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Doesn't that sound incredible? Because we at the end of time will be perfectly dwelling with God again. Without this Genesis 3 falling, fallen world getting in the way. And it's a picture of living with, of communing with, of being part of life together. The God of the universe wants a relationship with you. Otherwise, why would He send His Son to fix the problem? He wants a relationship with you. And and, and let me be very specific. He doesn't need a relationship with you or I. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And I think that makes it more incredible. I think about that with my kids. My kids love to be with mom and dad. And so everywhere we go, can I ride with you? Can I ride with you? Where are we going? I went to San Diego a couple weeks ago and the kids were, were like in a tizzy or something, Susie said. They're like, when does daddy's plane land? We're like, it's San Diego. It's, what country is he in? What time zone is he in? Just this idea of being apart is life-threatening to a child. Oh, that we would have that attitude towards God. That being a part is the end of the world. The psalmist in Psalm 23 writes, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever as His final hope and joy. Those that know Christ will dwell with Christ forever. So when you see the manger, it also represents relationship. That's the second point. Jesus was born to dwell. We see that in Matthew one twenty one as the angel is coming to Joseph and talking, and he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
God dwelling with us. This concept of dwell is just throughout Scripture. We don't have time today to to get into that. But think about that. Martin Luther called it Christmas as God deep in the flesh. He's dwelling with us. So how do we have this same mind of Christ? As we are in relationship with Him, that means we are seeking Him for relationship, but we also are seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ and and being in relationship with them. I, I think of even things like getting together today and eating today is, is part of dwelling together. Because if we dwell with Christ, by, by implication, we're dwelling with each other. So we better get along. We better learn how to do that. And it's a joyful time together. We talk about Jesus was born to dwell. I encourage you to take those songs that we just worship through and say, okay, how can... We as a family this year, how can I as an individual remind myself that Jesus came, that He is with me? And there's all kinds of creative ideas. Some of them, quite frankly, are a little easier when you have kids, like leaving an empty chair at the table. Uh, to remind yourself that Jesus is with us, or leaving an empty seat in the car, or maybe throwing a birthday party for Jesus. But what are you going to do to remind yourself that Jesus came to dwell, and that He's with you? You are not alone. He was with me as I was going into the stores grumbling about their Christmas displays. Changes things when we start to understand that He's with us and He wants to dwell with us. See, that concept is pervasive throughout Scripture, that relationship with God. But there's a problem. And that problem, I started to mention, or the verses we read in Genesis 3 mention it. This was after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, took the fruit that they were told not to, and sinned against God. And what did it do to that relationship? It damaged it. It tore at the fabric of that relationship. Now, now, let me be clear. It did not change that God loved them. It didn't change that one bit. But it changed their closeness and ability to commune with each other because man turned their back on, Jesus, on, on God. again, having kids has taught me so much about God. And I think when my kids look at me and say, no, the one time they did that. (laughs) They're in the room, aren't they? (laughs) Hi, kids. (laughs) And at that moment of rebellion, at that moment of, of this, I will disobey you, it does something to the relationship doesn't change that I love them, but it changes how close we're feeling at that moment. That's what we've done to Jesus. That's what we've done to God. Because every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has turned our back on God. Every one of us lives in a fallen world that we have inherited, a sinful nature. And so what do we do with this, this hole in our hearts? We were created to dwell with God. That's what we're looking forward to the end of time. But what do we do with this hole that I believe God has created into every one of us? And people that don't know Christ, that aren't following Him, you, you, they, they try all kinds of things to fill that hole. Maybe with other relationships. Maybe with activity. Maybe with career. Because they're trying to fill something that is a God-sized hole that can only be filled by God Himself. And a baby that came in that manger. And so for the, the last three points, we, we have this problem. How do we be in relationship with God? How do we dwell with Him when our sin gets in the way? 
And we know from Scripture there's no way we can be good enough to overcome that. There's no way I can do anything to erase my sin. The penalty of sin is death, pure and simple. There is no other alternative. And this is where we come in, but God. And whenever I see the phrase, but God, in Scripture, I know something incredible is going to happen. Something only God could do that I couldn't. And we come to, but God, in, in our story, because our, our, the story of our sin and rebellion, God steps in to intervene, and He provides a son and a way to be in relationship. And our last three points really go together. I need three kids to come up. We're going to do all of them together. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Okay, we have four. We're good with four. I need envelopes three, four, and five. Three, four, and five. Okay, which one do you have? You have four? Okay, stand right here. Which one do you have? Five, stand right there. You have three? Okay, Noah, come here. You're going to be part of this too. That, that's all of them. Come on, you're going to help me. Can you help Jeffrey open this one? Whoop. Help Jeffrey open this one. Okay, come on down. And actually, you guys open yours too. We're going to look at them all together. And these three are the rescue mission that Jesus was born to start. Open them up. Okay, Jeffrey, what's yours? Love. Born to love, what's yours? Die. Born to die. And born to save. You know, those go together. Because God loved us so much and wanted to dwell with us and wanted us to be with Him, He sent His Son in that manger who would grow up to die for our sins. And if we accept Him, we are saved. And so He came to save us. Do you see how those go together? Born to love, born to die, born to save. Hi, Mom. (laughs) Hi, Dad. Thank you very much, guys. Let me grab those. Good job. See, if you look at our Philippians 2 passage, it goes on with the rescue story. In verse 8, it's talking about Jesus who was born. And in verse 8 it says, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So that was the plan. He was born to die. And so I have broken it up into love, die, and save. And just want to look quickly at a couple verses on each one of these because this is the meaning of Christmas. This is why we're here. This is why we're celebrating. This is why we can be a church. The first point there is born to love. He loved us enough to pursue us, to die for us, to save us. Love is that that process of choosing selflessly to put someone else and their needs above myself. To love them, to be committed to them. To sacrifice self for another. And a familiar verse, John 3.16, but we'll also look at verse 17. John 3.16 and 17 talks about that love. And it says, For God so loved the world, and it's stressing just how much He loves every one of us, that He gave His only Son. He gave His Son to be born in a manger. He gave His Son to be beaten and die on the cross in our place. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And in those verses, look for the sequence. Love, die, save. And you have, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And He's speaking of His death there. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that's the save part. See the same sequence in 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, or it became visible and apparent among us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And you see love die save there. It's it's a sequence that happens over and over because God loved us so much that He intervened where we couldn't and He rescued us. That word propitiation is a a great word and it means that, that Jesus took the wrath of God in our place. He satisfied the wrath of God. And we don't like to talk about wrath sometimes, especially not at Christmas time, but it's why there's Christmas. Our sin, I mentioned, demands a, a penalty, the penalty of death. And so Jesus, as He hung on that cross, as He died in our place, took our sin upon Himself, and He took the penalty for our sin. When He died, when He said, it is finished, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, He took our sins on Himself. And he paid for them in full. Receipt says done, paid, completed. That's what it means that he became the propitiation for our sins. He took the penalty, the wrath of God in our place that we deserved. That is the most amazing act of love you will ever see. Sproul says this, To know that God knows everything about me and yet loves me is indeed my ultimate consolation. Jesus was born to love, to show God's love in an amazing way. And again, if we're to have the same mind of Christ, do we have that same mind? And in fact, the first John passage, 4.11, goes on to say, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Just to make sure we, we, it's clear, this is how much God loves you, so do it to each other. That's how people will know you're my disciples, Jesus said in John. And so this Christmas, part of worshiping Jesus and keeping Christ at the center of Christmas is remembering His ultimate act of love and then finding someone to spread that to. The manger means God loves you more than anyone else ever has or ever will. And that gives you a well to love out of which you can love others. Born to die is that second point. Philippians 2.8, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And I think along with that of Romans 5.8 and 9, because why did he have to die? Why did he have to, to pay that? And he didn't have to, he chose to, to rescue us. And Romans 5.8 and 9 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? By the way, you see love, die, save in that sequence in those verses as well. So even while we're still 
rebelling against him, he sent his son in that manger, lived and dwelt with us, and sacrificed his life on the cross. So that someday, you and I would have the opportunity to receive him. To be saved. To be justified. This is the fullest application of his love. The fullest application of any love we will ever see. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He was born to love, but because of that, he was born to die. What a sacrifice. If we keep that in mind at Christmas, if we make that the center of our worship, if we make that the center of our celebration, if we remember that every time we see the manger, that love, that sacrifice, that changes our attitude. It changes our worship. Because finally, that last point, born to save. All of this culminates in that he brings salvation. Brings salvation to those who, who respond to him. A couple verses out of the Christmas story, Matthew one twenty one. the angel appears to Joseph and says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why was he born? He was born to save. Even the name Jesus means Yahweh helps or Yahweh saves. In Luke 2.11, the passage you heard when we lit the candles this morning to the shepherds, the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not just a baby, a Savior. He was born to save. This is why we're here. This is why we're a church. We've been talking about the church this year. It's because... God Almighty came and was born in a manger. Was born to love, to die, and then to save so we could be part of His family. Galatians 4, 4-7 through says, But when the fullness of time had come, when it was just the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, And you see that relationship again. Those that accept Him have that relationship as sons and adopted. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's a term of endearment. A term of relationship. This is the true meaning of Christmas. Now there may be some here today that have never heard the gospel story or never responded to the gospel story before. That Christmas is just about a lot of lights and a lot of food and a lot of parties. But Christmas is so much more than that. Christmas is about a rescue mission to bring us back into relationship with God Almighty. But there's only one way that that happens. There's only one way that we can come into that family of God. And that's by belief in Jesus Christ. Going back to John 3.16, a verse that we looked at earlier. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And then it says how, what you do with it. How you can become 
a child of God, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. How are we saved? How do we come back into relationship with God? It's by believing in Jesus Christ. And that means repenting of our sins, saying, I have turned my back on you, but I believe you came, and I believe you came to save, to die on that cross, to take my place. And that belief and that trust in God and commitment to God, that, that, that's what it takes to be saved. It's not some secret handshake. It's not a certain number of dollar bills in the bag. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Period. That's it. Nothing else added. And that is something you can do this morning. If you're sitting here thinking, I have this hole in my heart that's a God-sized hole. We talked about that He wants to dwell with me and I just don't know that I, I have any experience of that because I've never come to Him. This morning's the morning that that can change. Because you can say, Jesus, I believe in you. I give my life to you. I have sinned, but I recognize you died on the cross as payment for that sin. And that changes everything. It will change your Christmas. Changes how we live. For those of us that know Christ, and for those of you that that have made that decision, the question then, how can I have the same mind of Christ? How can I make my life about the gospel at Christmas? And I'd encourage you just to, just to find one person this Christmas that you can share the gospel with or share a track with or invite to church. One person that says this is the meaning of Christmas. That's how we can worship Jesus and remember that he was born to save. I'd like to close our eyes for a moment, bow our heads, And just spend some time in prayer. Praising God for His sacrifice that He was born to love, to die, to save. And that that brings salvation. And if you want to accept Christ today and want to come to Him and want to be in that relationship, now's the time. Just write in your seat quietly to God. Say, Lord God, I need You. I accept your sacrifice because I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place for my sins. I choose you. I choose to dwell with you. Lord God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Remind us at Christmas that it's not just about the music we like and the lights we love, but it was about the beginning of your plan to bring us back to relationship with you. Thank you for being born to serve, to dwell, to love, to die, to save. Change us because of those things, God. In Jesus' name, amen.